With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good evening and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. (sighs) As summer begins and starts soon, so much to talk about. With that, I want to discuss all of this with the managing editor of Toasted Cheese. Apparently, according to photos tweeted, she's hairstylist, makeup artist, <laughs> a renaissance woman. Stephanie Lynn, good evening. How are you? I'm cheap. How are you? <laughs> My daughter went I to am... prom, and we didn't go get her hair done. We just did everything at home. Okay. Smart. Frugal. Yeah. I like frugality. Scottish. Speaking of... Huh? I'm Scottish. There you go. (laughs) Now, let's talk about something that is different. And the opposite of reality. Our guy, you know, Montgomery Grift, uh, (laughs) you know, Sean King, and his, this is according to, and actually it's true, Ernest Owens tweeted this, that Sean King is being sued and... It involves money. And his real justice pack, where they have given so much money, and they apparently it stems from violating Philadelphia's code by courting donations split evenly between the Larry Crosby complaint and real justice, but used exclusively to benefit the re-election of District Attorney Larry Krasner. If he was fined before by ethics violations, why why does this man keep doing this? Beige heart. <laughs> I've never heard that one. I love the many names for him. They just they just kill me. Um, yeah, he does it because he gets away with it. And he does it because he creates like this money circle. It's wild where like people donate to him and then he gives it to North star or the appeal or the real justice pack or something like that. And then they give it to the North star project or the appeal or, and it just cycles all around and never goes anywhere, never does anything. And it's like, finally someone's looking at this and Hey, I, I'm here with popcorn. I'm ready for it. Am I understanding it correctly? Yes. The money is like the guy on the couch in the movie Half-Baked, where it doesn't really do anything for the balance of the movie. It just kind of hangs around and just kind of sits there and it just, you know, accumulates. Well, in his case, you know, funk, but at least in the money's case, interest, where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sean King has placed himself in a position of, being a quote-unquote activist slash journalist, I, re- I read his writing. Honestly, I would much rather hear a dog clear its throat than read anything that Sean King would have to offer. Mm-hmm. His prose is 
the mildew oatmeal in the old Quaker Oats can that we all have in our cupboard that we've had to make those one batch of cookies in 2009. <laughs> yeah. I admit, I have one of those, I'm sure. <laughs> now, why do you think that, other than getting away with it, that he still maintains a following when people have sought, seen through the following? He sues black women who call him on his bullshit. That's one. Two, and I can't stress this enough, but I can. He is, in my scientific opinion, holding no scientific degrees from any prestigious university, just the ability of vision and comprehension and just that gut feeling of not being black. Wasn't there an expose on him a few years ago where they like went back and looked at his high school and every and talked to all his friends and stuff, and he didn't present as anything other than a typical white dude. And so he had to cut his hair short, and like he tries to, like, Rachel Dolezal himself up and appear like he's black, but I don't know that for sure he's ever said, I am a black man, here's my you know, accreditations or whatever he wants to say. But he certainly does like raising money off well, he, I don't know that he raises money off the black community, but he certainly raises it off black causes and black um, tragedy. So, you know, he knows what his grift is. I just don't know how good he is at it. He says he raises one amount, and then these court filings have amount, dollar amounts that are much, much lower um, as being like the official paperwork and stuff. Like he says he raised 300 and some thousand dollars, and they raised 13. So I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. He literally is as black as Mick Hucknall, the singer from Simply Red. <laughs> and instead of holding back the years, he needs to be serving some years in jail for even from all these goddamn people. Doesn't he? Ha maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but I swear he had a sibling who came forward and said, no, we're white. Oh, my God. He had a half-brother. He it. literally had a half-brother who looked like everyone's favorite plumber and <laughs> it is stunning that he has hold, held on to this lie yeah. and it's amazing that people you know that I, I admit that you know back early on I followed him for a while and just the, the blowback that people were giving him, and then that expose came out, and I read more, and then I just started looking at the people who were applying to him, and it's like, you know what? But their thing's really valid, and what he's saying is backed up by nothing. And so then I had unfollowed him, and then I muted him, and then I blocked him. So, you know, you go through that Twitter stage. It's like I just didn't want to see anything from him. but And I guess he spent most of the day talking about how wonderful he is and about how he has all these haters. Oh, I gotta read you his quote because yeah, it's uh, it's pretty spicy for somebody with like very little melanin. Um, <laughs> it's spicy mayonnaise. Yes. <laughs> his quote is.
Oh, he deleted it. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a screenshot out there somewhere. Said the following. I just need to say this out in the open. I don't care how much you motherfuckers hate me, lie about me, talk bad, crack jokes on me. I'm never going to stop doing the work I do. Never. And... And not a thing you can stay, not anything you can say or do will stop that. Now go help somebody. Hmm. Now, that doesn't sound like somebody who is proud of what they do. Like, talking about haters, like, we're the same age. He's probably younger. Mm-hmm. Do we really... Do do we need to kind of set an age limit on using the word haters? Um, I know that even Gen Z isn't using haters anymore. So, um, you know, haters going to hate <laughs> and grifters going to grift. Haters going to hate, hate, hate. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, I just, I just quoted Taylor Swift. Oh. I, uh, uh-huh. I'm going to take this break. We are going to come back. I'm going to collect myself and try to not <laughs> hang my head in shame. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC Radio Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back with the F, with with the Black Tuesday podcast, my PC Network. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lenz. Now, whew, after that Taylor Swift, like, kind of moving, we need to kind of talk about another clown, Elon Musk. Okay. Elon Musk is not only does he make shitty cars, he is big into crypto now. I'm kind of old school that way. I like my cash with presidents and hopefully soon Harriet Tubman on it. Mm-hmm. Now, what can you make of Elon Musk or Elon Musk? <laughs> There's a part of me that just went, well, I can make a hat. I can make a brooch. I can make a pterodactyl. Um, you know, I I don't get him and I know he's on the spectrum so that might be part of why I'm not picking up what he's putting down um, because we're kind of at at cross purposes um, communications wise but uh, he doesn't really say anything that I find interesting enough to to repeat or go and look at or anything like that I like the idea of um, you know intellectual curiosity and space exploration but I don't think he's doing it from an intellectual curiosity standpoint. I think he's doing it just from a money-making standpoint. Um, and I think just about everything he does is just, it's about money, whether it's, you know, just increasing his clout or making himself the doge father and 
all this kind of nonsense is just, you know, we're all kind of being indulged in his special interests, and all of his special interests go back to putting money in Elon's pocket. So I just, he's just a dude I don't, I don't get, I don't jive with. And like I say about some movies and TV shows and stuff, this wasn't made for me. I just don't think he's made for me. Um, I, I don't know who his fans are, but I, you know, I'd, I'd like for one of them to sit down, sit me down and tell me, oh, here's why he's great, here's why he's cool, here's why I find him interesting, even if I don't agree with him. But I just, it's beyond me. I think... It's more of he's the goal of what the white bro, even the black bro, the burner types, not even burner, but just folks they aspire to, like his level of rich and clownish, and they tend to want to like live his life and walk his line, so to speak. But I don't know. It's just. I don't see it. Like, yes, he has a billion dollars, a couple of billion. Mm-hmm. I'm not impressed. It, it's just. I'd I, I like. No, go ahead. I, you cut out there for a second on my side. Oh, just I'm not impressed by his whole his whole narrative of just his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he's come up with a couple of ideas, and I'm like, oh, that's great. I got really excited about when he said he was going to make this train, Hyperloop. And it was going to be kind of this enclosed thing, and you could go really fast along like the eastern quarter, like uh, Boston, New York, Philly, Baltimore, along in D.C. And you just like get in your little pod, and you get shot along like the thing at the bank that takes your deposit up the, up the thing to the teller. And... It was like, wow, so it's completely private, it's fast. I'm like, this, this sounds like a dream. And, you know, here we are. Not, that was at least five years ago that I first heard about it, and nothing's ever happened. And that's when I kind of started to lose my interest in him. It was just like he's a lot of ideas and a lot of talk and very little action. And that's the same problem I have with a lot of politicians that we talk about on here is lots of talk, lots of ideas, doesn't really do anything and you know other than the space launches which are not really in his hands they're in the hands of other people at this point um you know i don't see what he's doing that's really adding a lot to the culture i think that I thought so. You just cut out. Um, but it's just it's, a, it's just so odd. He's an odd guy. Speaking mm-hmm. of odd, did you see the Fox News spread? Like how they decided to change the Black Lives standing with the Palestinians into Black Lives standing with Hamas? It's weird. Um, I saw the thing on Forbes. Um, they wanted me to disable my ad blocker. <laughs> but, um, you know, just they they are so used to controlling every narrative that 
Um, they think that they can just completely flip the script on whatever bullshit they're pushing this week and nobody's going to notice. Um, yeah, we, we're watching a movie tonight on TCM. Uh, it's called Chaplin. It's a biopic about Charlie Chaplin and Robert Downey Jr. plays and got nominated for his first Oscar for it. Um, and one thing that happens in it is J. Edgar Hoover sends an undercover agent to go and mess with the premiere of The Great Dictator because he says it's um, pushing communism and an anti-American sentiment, which that film does not. But it was just a case of, you know, you've got an actor behind the scenes who's pushing a certain narrative or wants a certain thing to happen, and that's exactly what's going on with this, is, um, you know, they just, they take a little nugget from this and a little nugget from that, push it together and make a story, just, you know, to kind of cause chaos and to get their, read, their um, viewers all riled up. That's the way this comes across to me. What did you make of it? It's so weird. It's They, being Fox News, they have decided to just combine all the Palestinians into basically terrorist group. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't get it. Like, you would think that they would want the end of the bloodshed. Like, I don't get it. Like, I, you would think that it would be easy for them to be able to pull apart, but Fox is constantly pushing this narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they just depend on their viewers to take everything they need to know from a headline, never look into anything beyond that, and be told what to think, and just be like, oh, Hamas is the same as Black Lives Matter. We don't like Black Lives Matter, therefore we don't like Hamas. And therefore we're fine with them, with Israel bombing its, its citizens. And I think that that's all that they expect out of people. And this is just a good short, shorthand for them to do it. That's the part that's odd to me. But mm-hmm. we're asking, like, you know, it's like a happy, happier note. Lego will start selling a rainbow-colored set to, in honor of Pride Month, June first. This is a. I think this is an interesting step, and I think it's a great step. It's a bold move. It's I like seeing these companies embrace marginalized communities and not be afraid of the conservative pushback. Mm-hmm. And Lego has always been a company that, like, embraced um, like their toys. They don't sell. If you notice, they don't sell gun toys and they don't sell like um, kits to build tanks or anything like that they sell little people little um, you know like kits I'm sure that you know Star Wars they've got like blasters and stuff like that but real world um, violent stuff is not in their line and they've always had the idea that their their toys are 
gender neutral. And, you know, any kid can have any set or any just plain old block, box of blocks and have fun with it. So it's completely in keeping with Legos, um, you know, how they run things, that they would have a pride set. And the pride set is absolutely adorable. My kids have asked me for it. Um, the only thing that gives me pause about it is that they have a sticker on it um, that it's for ages 18 and up. And Lego oh. generally is for ages 3 and up, unless you have really small pieces, then like they might have like a 12 and up, or if it's complicated to build, something like that. These are just a set of minifigs and a base. So when they put it out, I replied to them and I said, why is this 18 plus? What's the safety concern? And they never replied back, but, you know, it's Lego. What are they going to do? Reply to one tweet. But I don't get why it's 18 plus when it's just a set of minifigs and some blocks. That's the only thing that gives me pause about it. Otherwise, it's great. That's a good catch. That's an excellent catch. I just, hmm, hmm, I would think that they need to prop, they need to address that because chances are they're going to have that question more than once. Because mm-hmm. my um, kid is 17. I want to buy it for her. Why can't I buy it for her? You know? So speaking of, I want to talk about Joanne Griffiths. She is the founder and CEO of Nixware, which is a like an in apparel brand. Mm-hmm. Per their, she has set a gr- a ground rule when talking about funding. Miss Gr- Miss Griffiths is very pregnant with twins, and any investor who might cite as a concern will be disqualified from bidding. Mm-hmm. What do you think of such a strong, bold stance? I think it's great. I mean, she, I mean, she's the boss. She gets to set the the rules. You know, if people ask her why her hair is blonde, she could say, no, you're not, I'm not interested in your investment. But, yeah, she's absolutely, you know, asking about her medical condition really doesn't have anything to do with how the company's going to run, what the business plan is, any of that, you know, it doesn't really affect how your investment would go. I, I don't see, you know, I guess an investor might say something like, well, I want to know if you're stepping away during maternity leave, but would they ask that of a man who was, you know, uh, partner to someone who was going to have a child or who was adopting a child? Um, no. You know, it, it's great. Um, I saw, um, I can't think of his last name. His first name is Alexis, and he's married to uh, Serena Williams. Run Reddit. Oh, honey. He was on, thank you. <laughs> and I know his name is hard to pronounce, but he pronounced it this morning. Um, I saw him on CBS this morning today, and he was talking about family leave and um, paternal leave and stuff like that. And he was like, we just have to normalize the idea that people in business have families. And sometimes, you know, we have to take time off because of our families. That's where our priority needs to be. And he said that he'd always believed it. And the more women he hired at the company, the more he heard it. And then when he became a father himself, he's like, absolutely, this is how it has to be. He took 12 weeks, and he said, I understand that I'm in a position where that is an extremely generous family leave. So I think it's good overall that in business we're talking about what our outside you know, entanglements, for lack of a better word, could mean for how we work. But I think that this pandemic especially has showed us 
how there are different ways to work and different ways to achieve our goals while we're still prioritizing family or prioritizing business or whatever it is that we want to do. The thing is we have to be able to say for ourselves what it is that we want to do. And for her to be able to say for herself and for her company, if you're going to give me grief about the idea that I'm pregnant, I don't want your money, fantastic. More female CEOs should be able to do it. It's that strength. It's like the, I don't know why, because mm-hmm. you're a cinephile, but it's like that scene in uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 when Orin Ishii mm-hmm. is confronting the other crime boss, and he, you know, mentioned her background. As you, those who know that, you know, she decapitates him and says, well, this is no other time. I'll answer all your questions, but anyone else who has to answer that has to answer to me. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing because there's a lot of yeah. expletives there and violence, but she does, the take is the same. It doesn't stop Ms. Griffiths from doing her job. It doesn't stop her company from wanting to expand mm-hmm. She's the boss. Yep. Got to respect that. Now, as someone from Florida, I'm sure you've had to deal with your share of hurricanes over the years and just other natural disasters. Today, President Biden announced that FEMA will provide a billion dollars to state, local, and federal governments. This is from Bloomberg to prevent damage from floods, hurricanes, and other wildfires. Why has it taken this long for, I'm sure the Obama administration did it in, the, in the previous four years, we watched California just burn, just mm-hmm. in not just California, but parts of Washington, parts of Oregon, just burn, just completely burn, and little was done. And FEMA has had issues going back to George W. Bush. Why do you think that? governmental agency has always struggled with certain things. Is it because it's so massive or there's a lack of follow-through or there's just it needs to have more than one head? Um, I think FEMA might be stretched too thin. I know um, with Hurricane Andrew in 92, we were all calling it feeble instead of FEMA. And I don't know if people still call it that, but that always comes to my head and sometimes I'll be talking about FEMA and I'll accidentally say feeble. But um, yeah, they just don't respond in a timely way. And the thing about hurricanes is you have a little lead time. You know if it's going to come, you know how bad it's going to be, and you can kind of prepare. And the thing is with hurricanes is they never seem to have their shit together. Either, you know, with Andrew, with Katrina, with Sandy, um, they just kind of stand there wringing their hands like they don't know what to do instead of having a, okay, the moment this goes through, we've got boots on the ground, here's going to be the, sh- you know, we have the shelter here, here's going to be the, you know, the, the stuff that we're going to hand out, and here's the plan of action to get places rebuilt. There just always seems to be complete nothing. And then you add in something like a wildfire or tornado that you can't really predict, and they really struggle and don't know what they're doing. So... I've always thought that it's just a case of either, you know, to get people in there, like, you know, George Bush's buddy Brownie, who really didn't have any experience with this kind of thing and didn't know what he was doing, or it's a case of just bad organization. 
and that's what has always struck me about FEMA is just it doesn't seem to have itself together and doesn't seem to do what it's supposed to do. Um, you know, I mean, we're still there's still been no recovery that I know of um, in Puerto Rico for Maria. You know, at least Biden's not throwing paper towels at them, but I'd like to know that at least something's getting done there. And, you know, what's going to happen? We're just starting hurricane season now. You know, hopefully we won't have anything terrible that, you know, the money won't get siphoned off to other places, but it just always seems like a mess to me. Do you think that a smarter, uh, a smart tack would be to split FEMA into regions? Hmm. I think that would be a good idea because, like, um, in the Midwest, you could have, like, tornado specialists who know, you know, what people need after tornadoes and, you know, stuff like that. And then in the east and the southeast, you could have hurricane experts. And then you have wildfire experts in the west. It would be great. You know, but they would be able to cover whatever disaster would befall them. But, yeah, and, you know, I think it would be better regionally. But you know the states can barely get along. How are we going to make a region? For me, I mean, this I thought about this after I read the article. For me, I would put the western region, like the the office in Portland, mm-hmm. and actually not in Portland. I would put it in probably Phoenix because then because they have fires out there too, and Phoenix would be right there, and then put the Midwest, like split into much smaller. Have the Midwest because Midwest deals with tornadoes and floods, mm-hmm. and somewhere like Des Moines would be perfect, and Southeast mm-hmm. or the Lower Midwest would be Dallas, just dealing with that. Dallas, and then having one probably, I would say, somewhere close to New Orleans to try to deal with the flooding and hurricanes there and mm-hmm. just split it up because the big blank the big umbrella of FEMA is not working. It's not. It's there are people with there are people unnecessarily dying. Mm-hmm. Now along the lines of disasters, apparently the farmers in the Klamath Basin, which is Oregon, the they're running out of water. And so to kind of help the survival of fisheries, they have, um, they're trying to meter the amount of water released via irrigation to farmers, and that has caused a struggle. Like, is this the bill coming due for climate change? I think so. Um, From what I read, there's a lot of this that's... um, Either I don't know if it's tribal land or if they're tribal fisheries, but um, you know these are the exact people who have been warning us about this, you know, the whole time, and have told us, you know, water, water, water. This is what it comes down to, and here we are at a place where they have to limit or ration how much water farmers are getting for crops, and this is where we are headed if if we can't get our heads out of the sand about climate change. I I absolutely think that it's related to climate change, and it's also related to our just reckless use of water. We're really fast and loose with water. Now, it is 
stunning to read that you know people you know the government has pretty much had to choose between fish and crops and I kind of wonder what the ignoring the basic signs were in the 90s or the 80s when climate change was a thing that it was starting to get it was getting discussed but it didn't kind of take the front page for a while and then you got pieces of the Arctic shell breaking off the side of Rhode Island and just flo floating on the ocean there but just with these farmers it is is tense and it's hard choices and that's I wouldn't want to be an irrigator in this point because who do you side with yeah and then Amon Bundy is sticking his nose into this too <sighs> so they're turning it political as well of course so, yeah that I whole mean, family yeah they're just a whole bunch of nutbags they are they're, they are kind of garbage and just mm -hmm. a little bit of the worst. Now, we always wrap up on with fun questions. I'm going to 80s, 90s music. Now, okay. one of the things, you know, there's always been a girl since, hell, the Maguire's is in the 40s and 50s or the Supremes in the 60s or Sister Sledge in the 70s. There's always been... Girl groups, like this, you know, pop, just pop, Motown, rock, whatever. But they've always been rather strong. In the 80s and 90s, who, is, who are your underrated female-led bands? Uh, underrated. Well, that's because I, I was thinking about it as you were talking, and I was like, well, the Go-Go's are probably one of my favorites. But yes. I don't think that they were underrated. I think they did get a lot of... Um, lot of respect they're going into the rock and roll hall of fame mm -hmm. so um there's them um i don't know if they if they're a girl group but um they're girl led i love Susie and the banshees um nice uh what's the, I, I can't think um am i thinking of the renegades with um joan jett and lita ford no runaways 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 yeah i i quite like the runaways as well um the pointer sisters Amazing. Yes. Uh, their stuff really holds up. If you haven't listened to the Pointer Sisters lately, give it a listen. I listen to them at least weekly. I find something to, to play that I like. Um, from 90s, gosh, there's on Vogue, Salt and Peppa. Yes. Um, I, I will break out into a Salt and Peppa song, just like sing speak it to my kids, and they're just like, Mother, please stop. <laughs> but girls, what's my weakness? Men. <laughs> they just walk away from me. <laughs> yeah, I can I can go on on that one, but yeah, the, there was a really good time of female-led rap um, and hip hop, and it comes out of that. And then there's, you know, like um, Queen Latifah, and there was um, like uh, you know Erica Badu, and all these different people that were putting out some really great music in the '90s. So those Lauren are the Hill. ones that come to my mind. Yes, Lauren Hill. I couldn't think of her last name, so I didn't want to say it, but the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Classic. And How about you? What are your I, favorite '80s and '90s girl groups? Well, I the Bangles because they, you know, they yeah. produced the one of the greatest cover song, like greatest cover version of a song ever with "Hazy Shade of Winter." Like you, yes, 
that's two minutes in like 30, 40 seconds of just mm-hmm. save for that I 15 have, minutes in the middle. Just, just I had straight that 45. Ahead. I liked it that much. I bought it by itself. So. Like, you could be sitting there writing and, like, capping your pen, and you just had that drum beat, like... Mm-hmm. You know, and they weren't just singers. They played all their instruments and everything. So. Yes. Um, heart. They're not all yes. girls, but it's led by two women, so yes. they were putting out stuff in the 80s. They were. And, I, I, like I said, I still, to the day, think that uh, Ann Wilson received the worst treatment of any singer in the 80s because... Think about it. You had it in the seventies where Heart was a cornerstone band. Just mm-hmm. she gains weight. Then the video age where they have her like in all black mm-hmm. from like the waist up, mm-hmm. shooting her far away. Mm-hmm. And one of the videos they have her behind a a welder's mask. Mm-hmm. But yet her sister, who's smaller, just head-to-toe, doing kicks with the guitar, spinning around. In the video for These Dreams, he's, like, laid out on the floor somewhere. And I'm like, really? This is what we're doing? And it just... And she's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. She's 70, and she's still in the road, like, killing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like damn, like she will not retire, and it's it's a good thing. But other bands, like you, you mentioned, a lot of them. One of them, uh, Veruca Salt, where yeah. <laughs> it's strange. Like, see, there is one of those songs that you never expect it. You never expect it to mm-hmm. just pick up and not relent, and it goes, and it works, and it has that frenetic pace mm-hmm. and I saw them oh like 25 years ago and it was phenomenal and they that energy throughout the songs and then they put a couple of CDs they broke apart for like 15 years they came back together now and they're like moms and on tour like doing their thing yeah. and it's just I saw them, I think it was on Conan O'Brien's show, they played Seether. And yeah. you would think that he had stepped out of a time machine. Because it just, it was the same. It was just as clear, it wasn't lip sync, because you could tell because of the changing and the tone and tenor of Nina and Louise's voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you said Baruch Assault, and I, I thought of Belly, too. Oh, yeah. Because they weren't all girls, but it was woman-led, and that kind of takes me back to a certain place in time as well. Believe it or not, the Donnas. Yeah, I have that album. <laughs> Their first album. If the Goggles were the bright, cheery, fun, like, smiling pop, the Donnas more of the, like, well, need to go to the store and get some cigarettes and apparently some whiskey and <laughs> sit outside on the back porch and smoke every. One in the pack and drink all of this bottle and just go for it. They just have this thing and just it worked. They were one of just the rock. They're a rock band. Mm-hmm. There's a great documentary on Hulu about the Go Go's came out last year. If you haven't seen it or if you think they're like a bubblegum group, 
you need to watch this documentary. They're a hot mess, and they are so honest in it. It's great. I know that, like, years after, Jane Whelan, like, surprised a bunch of people with her her new occupation. What was and that? It, she's a dominatrix. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, now, I've seen the documentary, and I've I've heard, like, they're behind the music and stuff, and that's really not surprising. <laughs> I was stunned. Kind of, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, and you, and you know, for somebody out there, that's exactly their kink. <laughs> Jane Weedlin is a dominatrix. That is, yeah, because, I mean, it, it was it was weird because I was thinking about her solo stuff, and she had a solo song called Rush, Rush Hour, where the video was mm-hmm. weird because it's her and there's a bunch of dolphins, and the dolphins are, like, swimming and apparently they are causing traffic jams at SeaWorld or some nonsense, but it it's one of those things that the girl band is always phenomenal. Now, mm-hmm. how can people interact with you on social media? The best way is on Twitter, and my handle is Edenza, E-D-E-N-Z-A. One of the best out there. Stephanie Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Tuesday podcast. My pleasure. I'm going to go listen to some music now. There you go. This has been another episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other.